Uh, welcome. We are starting a new series called Timeless, and what we typically do uh, is we pick a subject that we're going to talk about for about two or three weeks, sometimes four weeks. Um, and at the beginning of the series, this is really an introduction, but over the next three weeks, as we kind of tackle this idea of timeless, uh, we're, we're going to do, um, it's kind of like one big message that we've broken apart into three. So this is just the beginning. This is the introduction to an idea that's going to carry with us over the next few weeks. Uh, as you're looking at this lovely bouquet of flowers, we're going to get to that in a minute, but I, I know it's up here and I just have to address it. We will talk about that towards the end of the message. Uh, but here's what we want to do, and I, I want to take a few minutes to just kind of introduce the idea of why we're doing a series called Timeless, why we feel like it's important, how it can kind of impact your life, um, and, and really, I think, even the, the next seven days, as we find out. Over these next seven days, I think this, this message in particular has like this is a incredible importance and incredible value over what happens in the next seven days of your life. So as we jump into this idea of timeless, I want to start off by kind of, kind of addressing the idea of trends. You guys, you know we live in a trendy world. There's all, all different kind of trends. There's social media trends. There's food trends. There's clothes trends. There's, there's hair trends. Um, there's trends on, on movies and TV. We, just, we live in a world of trends, and, and trends aren't bad. I'm not trying to demonize trends. But in the trendy world, sometimes it's kind of hard to keep up because trends come and they go and they shift and, and, and they fade. Um, but there are trends everywhere, especially if you're in technology. Now, I'm a little bit of a techie, so technology trends c c tend to happen pretty, f pretty fast. There's something new, and then there's something new that, you know, a week later and a week after that, they tend to, to just jump across and, and create all kinds of, of uh, maybe turmoil in your life if you're a little bit of techie because you feel like you have to keep up. But here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to show you something that was a trend at one point. You, you guys remember this? This is my daughter's. I actually had to ask her to bring it with me. And when I asked her last night, she said no. No, what are you using it for? Like, this is her, like, like, most prized possession. This is older than her, believe it or not. But when this came out, this, like, created buzz. This was, like, over a thousand songs in your pocket. This one had the, the color screen. It still had the click wheel, which is pretty awesome if you remember iPods coming out. But this was, like, one of the classic iPods. And when it came out, it was... It was like the hottest trend on the market. Everybody wanted an iPod. And then I show you the iPod, and you're actually, oh, like, really? That, that's ancient. That's old. That's, that's, that's a fad. That was, but it's, it's really not anymore. And the same things happen with cell phones. Do you guys remember the first cell phone? Did you put that picture for me? Remember the first cell phone? Some of you guys remember when that cell phone was hot. Some of you guys remember when Zach Morris was hot. <laughs> now, if you're thinking, is it okay? I still think he's hot. No. Not, not, not at all. But, but this is what happens. You have that kind of cell phone from years ago, and then this came out last year. Do you know what this is? This is the iPhone X. And this technology is like the hottest technology on the market right now. This, you don't even need a thumbprint, which, by the way, being able to open a phone with a thumbprint is incredible technology. You don't even need a thumbprint with this phone anymore. It'll read your face. That's incredible. Like, this is technology now that's absolutely amazing. But here's why I point all this out. As amazing as this technology is, and as awestruck as it is right now, in a few years, your reaction to this is going to be, be the same as your reaction to this is today. That, that in a trendy world, as trends come and as trends go, that in a trendy world, the best things in life are timeless. And these aren't timeless. They come and they go, and there's new trends, and there's later trends, and, and, and there's the newest technology. But as we continue to progress through our life, as we continue to see these trends kind of come and go, what we see is they shift and they fade, and some things that are awesome become a fad. But there are things in life that we can hold on to that are timeless, that aren't trendy, 
that aren't just fads, that aren't things that, that we can kind of appreciate now and in a few years, it's like I show you that old iPod, like, uh, yeah, not impressed. There are some things in life that are timeless, and those are the things we want to talk about this morning. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> when I say all these things, I, I want to say up front, because sometimes I get accused of being a little mean, I'm not demonizing trends. I like trends. You like trends. It's okay to be trendy. I'm a little bit of a techie. I'm an Apple guy. If you know what an Apple guy is, anything in the tech world, we love Apple products. So I, I get all that. I'm not here to demonize trends. I'm simply saying, could there possibly be more to life than trends? Could there possibly be more to live for, more to appreciate, more to spend your money on? Could, could there be more than simply the latest trend, the latest fad? In this series, we're going to look at some of those things. We're going to look at how to live our lives in such a way. I'm going to move that before I knock that down. <clears throat> how to live our lives in such a way that it impacts not just our current reality, but our future reality. How to live our life in a way where, where it's almost that we appreciate life for being timeless and not trendy. And how, how we live our life and the decisions we make, how they not just affect us, but they affect the people around us. They affect you and me and the people around you. That there are timeless things in life that have the ability to not just affect you, but have the ability to affect the people you love. And once we can understand the importance of this, once we can understand the importance of these timeless things, this just doesn't, this just doesn't impact our future, but it impacts our current reality now. And it has the ability to change how we live, has the ability to change the decisions we make in such a dramatic fashion that, as I said before, the next seven days could completely shift the course of your life or someone else's. Now, to start this, this kind of idea of timeless and what is timeless and how this affects our life, we're going to talk about something that, that is timeless, and that's a, a pretty big idea. And, and this first timeless thing we're going to talk about is eternity. Now, eternity is timeless, right? There's no beginning. There's no end. I mean, just, just the idea of trying to understand eternity, it hurts your head a little bit, doesn't it? So we're going to be a little more specific, and we're going to talk in particularly about heaven, and as we talk about this idea of heaven, the question I really want to ask that we're going to tackle this morning is, what is heaven like? What is heaven like? And, and you might say, as we kind of jump into this, but Jim, that's what every, that's what every church talks about. That's what every like, you know, Christ follower Christian believes. But how, how does that affect my life going forward? Like, like, I know that affects my future someday, but, but really, how is that going to affect my, my here and now? How is that going to affect my current reality? How is that going to affect my relationships or the decisions that I have to make? Well, if you think like that, I'm really glad you're here because one of the reasons um, we want to talk about this, and you may not be aware of this, but we live in a country um, that is like currently completely divided. Have you noticed that? It's not just me. You can't turn on one news channel. You can't turn on really any social media streams without seeing how divided our country is. But when it comes to this idea of heaven, what I found really, really interesting, there was a poll that was done, and 81% of Americans, I mean, that's a big number, 81% of Americans agree that there is a heaven. Now, we can't get 81% of Americans to agree on anything, but 81% of Americans agree there's a heaven. And here's what's even more interesting. These 81, like 81% of Americans, they actually have no idea what heaven is like. They actually say, I really don't have a clear understanding or a clear picture of what heaven might be like. So we have a, a, this, this super majority group of people that believes in something called heaven, 
but they have no clue what it might be like. And in that gap of knowing there's a heaven, but not understanding what it's like, I think that in that gap, there is, there is knowledge and there is a picture of what could be and what should be that is so powerful that if we can like, get a hold of it, if we can understand it, it changes the way we live. And not just for our future, but for right now, for our current reality, for whatever set, uh, position we might be in. But for a lot of us, heaven seems like a long way off, doesn't it? Like when we talk about heaven, it's like, yeah, you know, when I die someday or when that person I know is going to get there, it just seems like such a long way off. But, but I would argue that heaven is a lot closer than some of us know, than some of us might even believe. But when we get this idea of heaven, like when you think about heaven, really, w- w- what do we think about? Like, <clears throat> I don't know about you, I, I grew up in, in a, a church, an, an older church that was kind of like fire and brimstone. Do you guys know what I talk about? What I mean when I say fire and brimstone, some of you people who grew up in church know what I'm talking about because you went there. So you know what it's like. It's when the preacher yells and screams a lot and he runs around and shakes his hands and he gets all sweaty and he begins to tell you like, you got to live your life right or you're going to hell. Well, I grew up in that. And, and <clears throat> believe it or not, the, the first church I was a pastor of, and some of you know this because you were with me, um, <clears throat> I was a little like that. I was young. I was a little naive. And that's what I, I learned. They actually had a nickname for me that I'm not too proud of called Brimstone Jim, where I used to... <laughs> Run around and yell and scream. And I thought, well, that's how you make a point. Here's what happened to me. And as I became older and realized the foolishness in it, <clears throat> I realized I don't want to go to hell because hell sounds really bad. And heaven sounds like a good alternative. Like, like if, if the choice is heaven or hell, clearly I'm going to choose heaven. But it's not really because I want to go there. It's because I'm scared to go to hell. I'm scared to go to the alternative. So I'll choose heaven. But, but really, if I'm being completely honest, when I think about heaven, well, I mean, when you think about heaven, you probably get the same idea I, I kind of do. When I think about heaven, heaven sounds kind, kind of boring. Heaven sounds kind of bland, a little, bit, a little bit vanilla. I mean, really, when, when our understanding of heaven, if we like, carry on from being a child, heaven sounds like, and I, I'm going to say this even though I probably shouldn't, especially from a, a, you know, preaching from a stage, heaven sounds like a really long, boring church service. And it's like, I guess I'll go because I really don't like the alternative. But when I'm comparing heaven to my current reality, to this life, it doesn't sound all that fun. Like when we think about heaven, when you think about heaven, what kind of images come to your mind? You know, we're sitting on a cloud, we're singing a song, playing a harp and white robes in this temperature controlled environment. And the only food we eat is grapes. Like, like we have this like really kind of, kind of boring idea of what heaven is. It's true, don't we? We have this kind of awful idea of what heaven is. It's because we don't understand. I grew up in Pennsylvania, and there was this guy who walked up our street. We lived in the city. I lived right next to a church, and this guy almost every week would walk up the street, and he'd pass the church, and every time he'd pass the church, he'd go, heaven, ha, I'm going to hell. And one day, I was like, like why would anyone want to go? So I asked, why? He said, I like it hot. Besides, I think all my friends are going to be there, so we're just going to have a big party. Like, there is this, this like, big misunderstanding of what heaven and what hell are. And, and we have this idea, if, if you grew up in church, if you're a Christian, that hell is bad, and it's not just hot. It's, like, really, really, really hot, like, burning and, and uncomfortable, and, and heaven is just the alternative. So, obviously, I don't want to burn. Let's go to heaven. But we don't have a real understanding of what heaven is. 
So what I want to do with this series is I, I want to start off by giving you this idea and, and kind of correcting our, maybe our, our vision, maybe our picture of what heaven is. Because I believe if we can understand what heaven is, if we can understand the value and the importance of heaven and of eternity in this life now, it, not, it just doesn't impact our future, but it impacts everything we do from here on out. Every decision we make, every financial decision, every relationship, every interaction, when we begin to understand what heaven really is, maybe we'll want to go. For years, the church has been trying to scare people out of hell. Maybe the best way to do it is to inspire people to choose heaven. Because when we really understand what heaven is, it's this monumental, gorgeous, brilliant picture of what our future is going to be like. You see, the truth is this, when heaven is trivialized, our lives become marginalized. When heaven is is trivialized, our lives become marginalized because we don't have that understanding. And what happens is we tend to live for the here and the now because that's so far off. Heaven is so far away. I know it's a future, but it's it's a distant future. And after all, I made a decision. I said a prayer. I believe in God. And now I I can just kind of do what I want. I can live the way I want. And when heaven becomes trivialized, or marginalized, our lives become trivialized. We need a correct perspective of heaven. For some of us, and, and, and really, I think Hollywood doesn't help us here. Hollywood hasn't really painted a good image of what heaven is. Right? For some of us, this is what heaven looks like. We're in this kind of nondescript office building with nothing there, mop, mopping floors with Morgan Freeman. And like, that's heaven? You see, today I want to give you a, a visual picture. And we're going to use a, a lot of illustrations. At the end, we're going to see what I think is a really awesome video to kind of capture the idea of what heaven will be in the future. Not what it could be, but what heaven will be. And here's how I want to start it. If heaven is more than that, like like if our idea of heaven is simply that it's a good alternative to hell, if our idea of heaven is simply this like this new agey kind of cloudy, like like sing-along place, like if that's that's what we think it is, here's the question I want to pose. What if we're wrong? What if heaven is more than that? What if heaven is closer than you think? What if knowing what heaven would be like could completely reshape your life, and in particular, these next seven days? What if we're wrong? And what if there's more to this discussion on heaven than we realize? You see, knowing what heaven is, knowing what heaven will be like, helps me be a better father. Knowing what, what, what eternity will be like, knowing what God wants to do with me in eternity, how he wants to spend time with me in eternity, helps me be a better husband. It helps me be a better father. It helps me better, be a better leader. It helps me be a better friend. It helps me be a better pastor, knowing. And, and when you begin to understand and when you begin to, 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 to really tackle this idea down and to understand it in your heart, what heaven is, it has the ability to change every relationship, to change your marriage, to change your business dealings, to change how you focus on your kids. It has the ability to reshape and change everything we do. But we're working with the wrong mental image of what heaven is. So we're going to start by correcting it. And over this series, we're going to start with this, this first idea of what timeless is. We want to correct our, our, our vision and our ideas of some of these timeless truths. I want to start by, by going over two things real quickly. These are kind of um, <clears throat> uh, two kind of disclaimers as we go forward. First of all, I'm not a travel agent. I've never been to heaven. I don't know anyone who's been to heaven. 
I have no pictures of heaven to tell you. I know you might be thinking, well, then why would I listen to you? Because I wouldn't go to a travel agent who doesn't travel. The, the beauty in this is I may not have been there, but God, who created it, wrote some very specific things about what heaven is going to be like. And I think it's incredible. And I think if we begin to understand it, it'll change our view on it. The second is this. When we use the word heaven or eternity, we're talking about the second coming of Christ, not now. Not where is heaven now. When we talk about eternity and where Christians or, or, or believers are going to spend eternity, it's what happens, excuse me, what happens after the second coming of Christ. So we as a church believe that Jesus came once, but that God said he would send him again. And when God sends him again, he's going to establish his eternal kingdom. So this is kind of just like the foundation going forward. We believe that Jesus will come again. We don't know when. We don't know how. We don't know exactly what's going to happen at that moment when he comes back. There are a lot of debates and a lot of discussions, and that's, that's like a whole other series, a whole other Sunday. But for this, this topic moving forward, we believe that Jesus will come back again, and when he comes back again, he's going to establish his eternal kingdom. And then every believer, every person who believes Jesus was the Son of God, that he lived and he died for your sins, and he came back to life, he rose again, will spend an eternity in <clears throat> with him. So that's it. As we start, we're going to talk about two misconceptions about heaven. And that's all we're going to kind of talk about today. And then I'm going to give you a little challenge for those seven days. The first misconception is this. If I were to ask you, where do believers in Jesus spend eternity? Your response would be, well, somebody's paying attention. <clears throat> heaven. If I were to ask you, where are believers going to spend eternity with Christ, the response would be in heaven. And the truth is, that's kind of right, but it's also kind of wrong. And I know that sounds a little bit controversial, and I'm not trying to just kind of stir up controversy, but when we have this idea of heaven, and I say, well, where are believers going to spend eternity? Where do you think heaven is? We all kind of, those pictures come to mind, those cloudy images, the songs, the white robes, they all kind of come to mind. Well, where's heaven? If I were to ask you, where's heaven? Our reaction is to kind of point up, right? Which really doesn't make any sense because we live on a sphere. So you're really not pointing up. You could be pointing out or down depending on where you're located. But we all kind of point up like, like heaven is somewhere in that, that big blue yonder. Heaven's somewhere out there. See, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to discover that heaven, where heaven is actually located, we actually know that. God actually tells us where it's located. And to do that, God has given, given us this incredible visual image. He said it over and over and over again. He started in the Old Testament through one of the greatest prophets, Isaiah. He gives this word image to Isaiah, and Isaiah repeats it, and he hands it down to the next generation, and to that next generation, and to that next generation. And then it carries all the way through to the New Testament, all the way through the New Testament, right now, to you and me today. This incredible word image, this incredible kind of vision of what heaven is. Here's where it starts. Isaiah 65. He says, see... And it's basically, I want to give you like this new word picture. I will create a new heaven and a new earth. A, a, a new what? I will create a new heaven and a new earth. I'm going to create something new for you. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And God's making his point, but he he's one, wants to make sure you really get it. So one chapter later, he kind of repeats himself in Isaiah 66. He says, as the new heavens and the new earth that I will make endure before me, so your name and your descendants will endure. There it is again, a new heaven and a new earth. And what God is essentially saying is, I want you to know where eternity is. I want you to know what it's going to be like, and it's going to be something new. It's going to be a little familiar, this earth, this heaven, a little familiar to what you know, but it's going to be something new. And this phrase, new heaven and new earth, it's like this completely kind of monumental phrase throughout the scriptures. It's something that we need to understand. 
For when we understand heaven and what eternity in heaven is going to be like, we, under, we need to understand this phrase. What does it mean? What does a new heaven and a new earth mean? This phrase refers to a universe. It refers to everything we see, everything we kind of come in contact with. It's going to be completely new. God, we believe that God created everything, the universe, the galaxies, the stars, the sky, the earth. And he said, if you, kind of, you want to know where heaven is, I'm just going to recreate. I'm going to do something brand new. There will be a new universe. There will be a new, a new earth. There'll be new heavens. And that carries throughout the Old Testament. And then it carries into the New Testament to one of Jesus' apostles, Peter. You guys know who Peter is? He's the loudmouth. He's the guy who you know, denied Jesus three times and then asked for forgiveness. That's Peter. Peter gets this image of heaven, and he kind of relays it back to us. He wrote some books in the Bible. This is 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, in keeping with this promise, and whose promise? Who's Peter talking about? He's talking about Isaiah. Keeping with the promise that God made to Isaiah about this new heaven and a new earth. We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. There's that phrase, where righteousness dwells. It's like God saying, I'm going to do something completely new again for you. I'm going to create something new again, and it's going to be for you, and it's going to be where eternity is, because God had this idea, this, this kind of image of what things should be like. And his image is that he would dwell in perfect harmony with his creation, with you and with me. And somewhere along the line, that vision, that, that idea, that heaven got ruined. And God said, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. I want you to know what it's going to be like. I want you to look forward to being there. And I think that if you would look forward to being there, if you would get that in your heart, it would change the way you live. You see, believers in Jesus, we will spend eternity with him on the new earth. That's where heaven is going to be located, on the new earth. And so many of us, we, 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 we kind of, when we think about heaven, we're always kind of looking up. If you want a better idea of heaven, go outside and look around. What's around you? What do you see? All, all, all the beauty of nature, all, all of the, these incredible things that are around you. So we don't need to go outside and look up. We can go outside and look around. If you want to know what, what heaven and what eternity is going to be like, those cloudy images, that, that, that white robe thing, the songs, all of that kind of goes away. The boring service, all of that goes away. That's not eternity. And some of you can be thankful and say, thank God. That's not what we're going to be doing in eternity. If you want to know what eternity is going to be like, don't look up, go outside and look around. <clears throat> I had the opportunity a few years ago to, to go to, to Maui uh, for a mission trip. And I know everyone's like, a mission trip in Maui? How do I go to there? <clears throat> we were working on the, on the backside of the island with some of the natives. Um, but one morning we took a trip up to the volcano on Maui. And it was Haleakala and you can kind of, you drive up above the cloud line and you can get to see the sunrise. We liked it so much we went back and watched the sunset. And, and as I'm watching it, and, and, you know, I know I come from a little bit of a church background, so if you don't have a church background, you just think, well, that's just beautiful. I thought, man, that is beautiful. Surely there must be a creator. Because, like, you look at that and those amazing colors, the, the, like the, the dark reds as it's setting and the beautiful yellows and oranges as it's rising, like, like, no one could manufacture that. Surely someone had to create that. That amazing, that beautiful sunrise. If you've ever seen a sunrise like that, you know what I'm talking about. That's just a glimpse of what heaven will be like of what the new heaven will be like. If you're not into summer and you're one of those winter fanatics and you, know, you go out for the first time skiing or after that first snow and you look around and it's like, this is just like, this is perfect. This is like the winter wonderland. That's just a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like because the new heaven and the new earth isn't somewhere out there in space. It's here. 
And God said, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to recreate it. I'm going to do something new. My original intention, my original plan to be in perfect harmony with creation, with you and with me. I'm going to make that the reality of the new heaven. So everything you appreciate about it now, how much better will that be in the new heaven and in the new earth? If you ever had a good day here, imagine what a good day looks like in the new heaven and the new earth. If you've ever seen an amazing, like, natural landscape, imagine what that will look like in the new heaven and in the new earth. If you've ever had an amazing meal with friends, and I love food, and I love having company over, and you you have that, like, incredible meal with friends, that's what heaven's going to be like. But I have good news for you. In heaven, God's going to, like, extract all the calories out of your food. So you get to eat whatever you want. And maybe if we're really lucky and really good, God will kind of extract all the annoying friends out, too. I'm just kidding. But I, I believe, and you know, this isn't scriptural, but I, I believe that when you get to heaven, like Goslin's donuts are going to be like vegetables. And it's going to be like a requirement to have like 10 of those a day. Like you just got to eat them. And again, like, there's no calories. So just enjoy the donuts and, you know, the unrest coffee. Like I, I believe it's going to be there. And I, I fully believe this, that cottage cheese is going to suffer an eternal damnation in hell. <laughs> now you can't quote me on that. Can't find that in scripture, but that is a personal belief. You see, when we begin to get a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like, it makes it a little, more, a little more exciting to go there, doesn't it? You see, so many of us live this life like, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but I don't really want to die because I like this life. But when we begin to understand what the new heaven is going to be like, this life, but to the extreme, to the best, to perfection, man, people are no longer avoiding uh, hell to go to heaven. We are running to heaven. God found this so important. This idea of heaven, this idea of this new heaven and the new earth, he didn't just leave it with 2 Peter. Before the Bible was completed in the last book of the Bible, before that last book was was written, God repeats it again. And he says this in Revelation 21. He, God, will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Here's what God's saying. You you live in this sin-infested world. And when sin came into the world, death followed behind it. Cancer followed behind it. Pain followed behind it. Mourning followed behind it. All of those those uncomfortable things that we wish we could live life without followed behind it. That is all there as a result of sin. And God said, when it comes to eternity, when it comes to the new heaven, I'm going to recreate it. I'm going to go back to that original idea I had where there was no sin and creation was perfect and we had harmony together. I'm going to go away from this old system. I'm going to wipe away every tear. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sin and it will be perfection. It'll be love. It'll be harmony. It'll be respect. It'll be unity. It will be perfect because that was God's intention all along. It's like God saying, I'm redeeming you back to that original idea I had when I started this whole thing. And he concludes with saying, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Everything. It's like the whole time God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit have been at like this, this massive redemption project. And he's redeeming you. And he's redeeming me. And he's redeeming the world. And he's redeeming the earth. And he's redeeming nature. And he's redeeming creation. All to come back to this glorious state where everything was perfect. He said, that's my vision for heaven. That's what I want to do with you. I want you to be a part of heaven with me. Where we can enjoy this incredibly perfect creation that I've made for you.
You see, I want you to go to heaven, not because I want you to avoid hell, but because I want you to be in perfection with Jesus. I want you to get to meet Jesus, and I want you to get to see all those incredible things that Jesus is going to do as he continues to redeem you and me in creation. Now, as we talk about this word new with this phrase, I am making everything new, there's two words that that can be used in this translation, and the words are neos and kainos. Now, now neos means I'm making everything new. It's like brand new technology. When the iPhone came out, that was brand new. No one had ever done anything like that. It it was created out of nothing. It was amazing technology. And when we talk about this idea of a new heaven and a new earth, that is not the word that's used. It's not something brand new. It's the other word. It's kainos. And kainos means to restore something to its original intent. And when we talk about a new heaven and a new earth, that's what God's saying. I'm going to do something new. I'm restoring it back to what it should have been. I'm restoring it back to its original glory, to its original splendor. I'm going to return the earth. I'm going to return you. I'm going to return all of creation back to what it was meant to be, back to what I intended it to be. It's something new for you. It's a new heaven. And it's a new earth. It's the way I meant for things to be all along. But somewhere along the way, we allowed sin. Somewhere along the way, we allowed our view of things to take over. Somewhere along the way, we became at odds with God. And God said, this whole time, I'm trying to redeem you. I'm trying to restore you to what I first envisioned you to be. Now, this isn't in the scripture, but, but again, we'll, we'll go there for the sake of the message. Who, who knows? Maybe when we get to heaven someday, there'll be a Bangor, Maine. And, and because it's perfect and because it's restored and because, you know, nothing bad happens, there'll be a Bangor, Maine where in April there are no black flies and no snow. Right? Like, we don't know that for sure, but, but I mean, I can just imagine that if there is a Bangor, Maine, we're going to have a perfect Bangor, Maine. And then when you come into the winter, it's going to be the perfect winter in a Bangor, Maine. There won't be, you know, dangerous ice on the roads. It'll be perfectly splendid because that's how God intended it to be all along. And he said, I'm creating something new for you. I'm going to take all of this and I'm going to return it back to its original glory, to its original intent. So that when you spend eternity with me, you'll want to be there. Now, I know that's like a a little bit of a silly example, but really, isn't it a better example? And it's probably a much more biblically accurate example than us sitting in a cloud somewhere playing a harp in white robes. I mean, really, it's much more of a biblically accurate example of what heaven will be like. So when we think of heaven, I want to inspire you. Don't look up. Look around and think of everything you see and then try to imagine what it would look like in perfection. Try to imagine what it would look like if it didn't have the effects of us or of sin or of death. Now, as, as we've come to this kind of part of our discussion, you, you, you're probably wondering, you said, this wouldn't just affect my future. Like, this is all great ideas. You know, we, we like the idea of heaven and someday I'll be there. And that sounds really, really nice, Jim. But this affects my future. How is this actually going to affect here and now. How is this actually going to affect these next seven days as you said it would? Here's what I want to do for you. In in my humble opinion, we're going to address what I think is probably the biggest misconception about heaven there is. And the misconception is this. What you do on earth determines whether you go to heaven. But once you're there, it's the same for everyone. 
Or in other words, we kind of get this idea that we hope God kind of grades on a curve. Like, I can just say that prayer and go to heaven, and then I can kind of live my life however I want, but I'll go to heaven and I'll just kind of, I'll kind of get what everyone else is getting. And the truth is, there's nothing that's further from the truth. That nothing could be further from the truth. In an ironic twist, the scripture kind of tells us the opposite. That it's only by faith, not by, by doing good works, not by being a good person, not, not by you know, giving to just good nonprofits and I try to be a generous person and I try to care, care for people. Like that's good, but that's not how we, we attain, that's not how we are qualified for heaven. The only way we are qualified for heaven is by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died for your sins and that he rose again. That is our qualification for heaven. That is the love of God. That is like the uncompromising grace of Jesus that saw you where you were and said, I'm not okay leaving you that way. I'm going to do something about it. And that when we believe, it's like God saying, hey, welcome to the kingdom. Welcome home. Now what you do, not what you do rather, but what God has done for you. And the Bible doesn't stop there. Paul gives us this incredible example in 2 Corinthians of what it'll be like right before we enter into heaven. He says, for we the Jesus followers, and this is written to the Christians, people who believe, for we the Jesus followers must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. <clears throat> that everyone may receive what is due them for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is written with believers in mind. This is written with people who, who, who say that they want to follow Jesus, that they believe in Jesus, that Jesus is who he says he is. And, and Paul is basically saying that someday we're going to go and we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to have to give an account of every decision, of every interaction. And I don't know about you, but, but that sounds kind, of, it sounds kind of dangerous. It sounds kind of uncomfortable. And there's a reason for that. It's supposed to be. Because God's intention isn't for us to live like heaven is just some future, far-off, distant place, but to live like what, what we do now impacts heaven for us and for the people around us. What we do today has the ability to impact heaven for somebody else. Heaven doesn't just matter later. Heaven matters right now. And when we begin to live with heaven kind of in view of our daily lives, everything begins to change, doesn't it? When we begin to think that what we do right now impacts our, our heaven and impacts somebody else's heaven, it begins to change, not to just some far off distant place that I hope I get there someday, you know, when I'm 70 and I die of old age or, or jumping off a cliff because, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, whatever you are. Like, like heaven is so much bigger than that. Heaven is so much more than that. And when we've got to stop marginalizing it to be this far off distant place, but heaven is now. And God said, what you do now matters in eternity. That what we do today matters in eternity. And someday we will stand before Jesus and we will give an account of every interaction we did. Now, for some of you, it might go like this. Maybe you're, you're, you're new to this area. You've got a job and you're developing some friends and some friends are asking you to go out and do something. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, that really isn't in line with someone who's trying to be a Christ follower. So you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay home. And they begin to shame you and they shame you on social media or they shame you by withdrawing your friendships. And they go out on Friday night doing whatever it is they wanted to do. And you stayed home alone. Someday you'll stand before Jesus and Jesus will say, you remember that Friday night? It's spring of 2018. You remember when you were graduating? You remember spring break when they were asked you to do something and you said no because you were trying to be a Jesus follower? Do you remember how hard that was? Do you remember when you were sitting there and you thought no one was watching or paying attention? I was. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Great is your reward. 
It, it, it means that, that some of you are going to take time off of work to spend time with your family. That some of you are going to come home and devote time to being a better husband or a better mother or a better father. And when it's hard and you're giving up and you're maybe not advancing as fast as you'd like to in your career, someday you'll stand before God and God will say, I know you gave that up. I, I, I know you kind of worked that business decision in a different way so that it could be ethical and you feel like you lost something. Let me show you what you've gained. Well done my good and faithful servant. Great is your reward. For some of you, it might mean talking to that person you never wanted to talk to. It might mean making yourself a little bit uncomfortable for the person that you know needs a place to stay or needs a meal. And it's been hard and you're not sure you want to do it, but you take, you take that step. Someday, God is going to come back to that point. It's going to come back to this message that has the ability to shape not just the next seven days, but your entire life. It'll come back to that moment when you decided to do something different, when you decided to live as if heaven isn't just for the future, but heaven is for today. And you'll hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Great is your reward. You see, when we live this way, we live as if every day matters. When we begin to understand what heaven really is, where heaven is, how like, incredible heaven is, and the impact it has on all of us, it causes us to live each day just a little bit differently, doesn't it? It causes us to make decisions a little differently. It causes us to work our deals a little differently. It causes us to spend money just a little bit differently. Because every day matters. So here's what I want you to do. Over the next seven days, I'm going to give you a challenge. Over the next seven days, I want you to, to try to capture every opportunity. I want you to, to live in these next seven days like every day matters. I want you to try to do something to make a decision this week that will show up in eternity however it has to be for you. Maybe it's that deal you have going at work. Maybe it's your relationships at work. Maybe it's how you treat your wife or your children. But I want you to make a decision that you believe will show up in eternity. It might have to do with your marriage. It might have to do with how you're spending your money this week. But I believe all of us have the ability over the next seven days to make an impact in eternity. We have the ability to change forever, forever. And that's powerful. Or just come back next week. And I'm going to talk about one of the most important things you can do to impact eternity. One of the most important things you can do to live like eternity starts now, not just later in our future. With all that being said, we live in a trendy world but the best things in life are timeless. You can chase the trends if you want. You can go after the latest. But at some point, we've got to make sure that what we're investing in, what we're spending our time, what we're spending our money on are the timeless things, are the things that won't fade, the things that won't rust, the things that won't wither, because none of those things can come with you. Now, as we close, I told you I'd come back to this, this beautiful bouquet of flowers. Some churches have beautiful live flowers. Um, we tend to go after the beautiful dead flowers. This was really a, a beautiful bouquet of flowers when I bought them. Um, 
But as you can see, they're, they're dying. And here, here's what these flowers represent. They, they represent the universe. They represent the earth. And as beautiful as all of you are this morning, and, and some of you look beautiful, some of you, not so much. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm kidding. You're all beautiful. They represent us. You see, it, it represents what being born into a sin-filled world is like. You see, when it started, when I bought these flowers, they were beautiful, and they were fresh, and they smelled fragrant. But they were born with, with, with some kind of disease. That disease is called death. And death followed sin. And we were all born into this world with the same disease. We know someday we're all going to die. We know someday we're going to wither and we're going to look a little old and and we may look a little bit like these bouquet of flowers. But God's intention and God's plan was for us to never look like that. His intention is in his plan was to redeem us so that we would live forever with him. Adam and Eve in the garden, they had no idea of, of heaven and what heaven would be like. That wasn't their idea because heaven was here. That was heaven. It was perfection. They were in perfect harmony with their creator and their creator was in harmony with them. But when sin entered, it resulted in this. So Jesus had to come and Jesus had to do what no one else did. Jesus looked at that and he said, I can't leave them that way. I've got to do something about it. And so he did what no one else could do. And he sacrificed himself for us so that we could be redeemed and so that we could be in relationship and we can be in harmony with him and the Father and the Spirit forever. Do you know what that's called? It's called heaven. And if you believe, that's your reward. But I challenge you over these next seven days, what can you do? What decision can you make? What interaction can you be a part of that would impact forever, forever? And if you're not a believer, if, if, if you're here and you've never believed, if you, you've never maybe heard that, that clear that Jesus came for you to do something for you that you couldn't do and you'd like to believe, I'm going to ask you as we close to just say a prayer with me. You can say it out loud. You can repeat it, in, you know, whisper it to yourself or repeat it in your mind. God it, it hears everything. He knows all things. So as we close, I'm going to say a prayer, and then Brian will be up and he'll dismiss. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands. I'm just going to ask you where you sit right now. Would you make that decision? And would today be the day that you simply declare, Jesus, I believe you are who you are and that you've done what only you can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good God. And I do believe today that Jesus is your son and that he came to do what only he could do, to pay my penalty, to free me from death forever. Today I believe I believe he is the son of God and he is my savior. Forgive me for all the things I've done to put me at odds with you and help me to live this day forward in a relationship with you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.